0: Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe
1: on ABC Radio Adelaide.
0: Good morning. Welcome to Talk Back Gardening this Easter long weekend. Good morning, John Lamb. Good morning, Deb. Great
2: gardening weather. Although, would you believe it's seven weeks now since we've had a significant
0: rain. Too long for many gardeners That would be why You can see there's a a dryness appearing around In plenty of gardens and street trees There'll be
2: a lot of digging of grounds For putting plants in I think this weekend And uh, just observe how dry the subsoil is So the magic elixir of course is water Darren Ray will uh, talk about the magic elixir And whether it's coming our way soon or later And uh, Darren Ray of course Will give us our three month weather outlook Very very shortly And later in in the program we discuss landscaping How do you find a good landscaper? How do you end up with the kind of landscape you want? But more importantly, perhaps, is the South Australian Landscape Festival. Twelve wonderful landscapes will be open next weekend, and we'll talk to one of our top landscapers, Jamie McGilwain, who's just arrived here in the studio, so uh, I look forward to that. And if you've got any questions on landscaping, Jamie would love to hear from you.
0: Absolutely. So the number to call, particularly up front for your landscaping questions, is 1300 222 We love your questions on the phone, please. If you've got a comment to make by the text line, very happy to receive it on 0467 I have the brand new April ABC Gardening Australia magazine to give away a little bit later in the program as well, so stay tuned for all of that ahead. But right now, being the first weekend in April, it's time to get our seasonal outlook for gardeners.
2: Darren Ray is independent climatologist here in South Australia and has uh, been giving us some wonderful heads up as to what to expect in the season ahead. So good morning to you Darren Ray. G'day John, g'day Deb and I'm listening out there. You'll be happy to so know there's a lot of tomato <laughs> growers who put in uh, some tomatoes, a uh, second crop of tomatoes at your advice and they're saying thank you very much Darren. So <laughs> let's see what lies ahead. For home gardeners, uh, I think. Last, let's start with last month. You, you were saying that uh, La Niña was fading, but the influence might carry on for a little while. Uh, just what's the likelihood of uh, the end of La Niña for South Australia?
3: Yeah, so the, the Bureau of Meteorology has declared the La Niña has gone back to neutral. So, but neutral conditions in the Pacific Ocean. So it's snuck back below that sort of uh, those cool ocean temperatures you see in the Central Pacific. So. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's so technically it's no longer La Nina, um, but we do still have very warm oceans around northern Australia, and uh, as as you typically see through through La Nina, and there's a lot of warmth in the in the Western Pacific still in the oceans generally, and. So, yeah, that's, that's pretty important in terms of what we're expecting to see through the, uh, through the remainder of this year.
2: Well, let's go uh, back again to last month. You were saying keep an eye on that warm water because if it flows westward uh, across northern Australia and flows out into the uh, uh, Indian Ocean, uh, it could end up causing what you term an Indian Ocean dipole going negative. So give us the background to that one.
3: Yeah, so exactly the um, the in terms of what we're expecting to see this year in terms of major climate influences, that 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 sort of linear signal in the Pacific Ocean, while it's gone below the threshold, so it is technically back into neutral. That pattern does look like it's going to stay through the rest of this year, with core water out in the central eastern Pacific and warmer in the western Pacific and around northern Australia, and in particular, the models are all have been pretty consistent for a while in seeing this sort of push of some of that warm water. Um, you know, up around the sort of Philippines and pushing through around Indonesia, out into the um, out off to the northwest of Australia, so off Broome, and um, and that's, that's that's is is has is firming up pretty strongly into um, what's looking like, a, as you mentioned, a negative phase of the Indian Ocean Dipole. So that's um, you know you see that variability across the northern Indian Ocean and in the Indian Ocean Dipole. So 2019, for example, we had the positive phase with cool water to the northwest of Australia and warm near Africa and it was very hot and dry for us. And then last year we had um, a weakish negative Indian Ocean dipole pattern, so warm off to the northwest of Australia. And this year it's looking like it's going to push back into something um, uh, uh, pretty similar.
2: I recall, uh, Darren, that
3: uh, around about
2: now you were suggesting uh, 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 a negative IOD... uh, almost months ahead of everybody else, so again, are you suggesting we could be in for a negative IOD here in South Australia, and what does it mean for South Australian gardeners?
3: Yeah, so, uh, so the negative indoor ocean dipole, so you'd see lots of moisture pushing down from the northwest, and and that's, uh, so that impacts the rainfall and cloud and temperatures across the uh, Northern Territory and northern parts of Western Australia and across South Australia. Yeah, that typically firms it typically goes into that pattern some through June or July, and 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 then stays there until uh, November or so before it weakens out. So it's a bit of a six-monthly sort of thing that has peak impact in spring. So it's pretty important for what we'll see through late winter and spring this year. And so that's what we're seeing this year is looking very consistent with all of that. But you're um, suggesting
2: good rains or uh, the potential for good rains in late winter and early spring.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, the trouble is we're, we're going to take our time getting there um, in terms <laughs> of the rainfall, so that's not the, the not-so-great news in the short term. No, so,
2: well, that yeah. brings us to that great big high-pressure system which is sitting in the bite, and uh, could you just very briefly explain, while it's there, why it's stopping it from fr- raining?
3: Uh, well, so we've got, we do have, you know, the waters are still warmish around North Australia. We actually have a bit of a burst of Weak, weak tropical activity coming through at the moment, but the uh, with the that ridge of high pressure being stronger than usual, the, the cold fronts are just uh, quite weak and they're not connecting up to any any of the moisture in the tropics. So, um, as I mentioned last time, we, we were expecting some some weak cold front activity late in late in March, and but it didn't actually do much. It wasn't able to connect up to that tropical moisture, and that's continuing to be the case. Um, you know, there's, there's looking like some interesting um, tropical cyclone activity that's going to kick off over um, out to the northwest of Australia over the next week or so, but um, it's not looking like it's going to, going to connect up to any of the uh, cold fronts that are moving past to the south. It's so,
2: quite perverse, isn't it? The, there's potential mm. for, no, for moisture to the north of us, um, and the fronts are coming through to the south of us, and the big blocking high is preventing mm. the fronts from joining up with the, with, with the tropical moisture.
3: Yeah, yeah, and it's also seen this continued very, this time of year, quite warm conditions, um, which are very pleasant to be out in. And, you know, it's great beach weather as well uh, for this, this late in year.
2: Well, that brings and- us
3: to uh,
2: the break in the season. Um, uh, some people say Anzac Day. Uh, t- uh, traditionally or on average, I think it sort of breaks around about the third week in May. W- w- what's happening with the break in the season?
3: Yeah, um, I mean, the breaks, there is a little bit of a, trend towards later breaks now than there were, was, say, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Um, so yeah, often it is more sort of that first half of May. Um, I mean, there, there's been some indication that we could still see, you know, see enough cold fronts coming through in the first half of May for that to happen, but um, May's looking really dry. But that's probably getting ahead of myself. Um, in terms of April, i just whip through that pretty quickly. Um, April's looking pretty warm, so we're going to continue with warmer average conditions. And this sort of um, looks like it'll cool down a little bit more around mid-month and then warm up again for the week and then for a week and then finish up um, a little bit cooler with some potential for a bit more rain um, the last week of the month. But overall, it's looking pretty dry. Like I'm not seeing any particularly strong indications of rainfall. We've had a a weak burst of chocolate activity moving through at the moment, but it's not connecting up to the coal fronts. And then it'll all get suppressed as that, that activity moves off into the Pacific. So um, I, I think we're looking for for people are looking for more water in their rainwater tanks or um, whatever. That's that's not looking such a great possibility not going right to at
2: the moment. Listen, could i just put you on the hot spot. Uh, there is a landscaping festival next weekend, <laughs> the 10th and 11th. Uh, will we get nice, lovely weather we're getting at the moment, or could that be uh, coincide with uh, some of those fronts coming through?
3: Oh, John, okay, hang on a sec. I'll just go.
2: uh... (laughs) Tell you what, (laughs) no, let's continue. I don't think it was fair to do that to you. Um, So let's continue. You're sort of saying that uh, um, April is going to be on the dry side. When's best bet for
3: rain? Uh, There's little bits and pieces showing up, you know, sort of in the uh, around mid-month and then in the last week of the month. So... Um, yeah, little bits and pieces around, but uh, yeah, it's I'd, I'd, it's look, looking like we're going to get lucky if we get get um, you know sort of fifteen millimetres or so through the month over Adelaide. So, oh,
2: I well, that's well below the forty-four de- of millimetres that we would normally expect. Uh, so that's April, May,
3: and the modelling's got May quite dry as well. So um, yeah, it's in fact like even drier again. So that's sort of you know suggesting this. Really, is going to be a lack of any significant tropical activity, and um, and the temperatures are a little bit warmer than average as well. So, yeah, not great in terms of uh, two people for rain at the moment.
2: All right, and then we move into uh, June. Uh, That high pressure surely is starting to break down by then.
3: Yeah, the um, and that's that's the case, and uh, like through. June looks like we'll see that's the as as is typical, that typically starts off that negative induction, dipole influence kick off as we move through June. Um, I mean the one thing with sorry, just on May rainfall, one thing is we've had a bit of bit a burst of wheat drop activity through at the moment. and that mgo is on, it does operate on a sort of rough four to six week time frame, so it does. You know if we was looking for a break in the season um does sort of suggest that that first half of may is is still our probably our best chance of getting that but may overall does look dry june's looking a little more average for rainfall and that that, that is when we start to see that um, negative Indian Ocean dipole influence kick in and as we go through winter into july august that that strengthens further and further um and to see that in the modeling and um yeah there's 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 a there's a pretty pretty good chance of getting a you know like a a moderately wet spring, so I mean overall it's in lots of ways it's pr- probably looking pretty similar to last year, um, in terms of the evolution of the uh, of the conditions through the year, um, and the, you know there is some chance it could get a little bit of wet, a little bit wetter as well um, if we do get some you know a solid push of those warm waters around northern Australia. So that's probably my takeaway. Yeah, you know, dry a dry autumn. Uh, warm and and then gradually um, gradually turn into something wetter and cooler, and particularly a, a a wetter and cooler spring. Well, those that, that are through. enjoying
2: our current gardening weather, I think, would be pretty happy with what you're suggesting. And uh, okay, a late break for many, maybe, but uh, keep an eye on what's happening in May. And uh, certainly, the potential for good rains in uh, late winter, early spring, would be brilliant. And look yes. forward to your update on how that's progressing when you talk to us first Saturday of next month, Darren.
3: Yeah, and and just very quickly on on next next Saturday, John. Yeah. Um, the warm conditions do break down a little bit. There's a very weak cool change coming through, um, on on uh, Friday overnight, Friday night, Saturday. So yes. there might be chance of a just a little bit of a sprinkle in the morning on Saturday, and then clearing to uh, to a lovely mild clear day. Oh, you're wonderful. Thank you very much, Darren.
0: <laughs> and, Darren, can I give you some homework for next month? Oh, of course. Because a, a listener has sent through a, a text saying, Last time we had a cool summer, 01 02, we had a bad drought in 02. Question mark this year. Now, I don't expect you to jump on that one straight away without notice, but is that something you might be able to comment on next time?
3: I can tell you right now, I mean, 02 was a La year. Uh, sorry, a, uh, El Nino year. And, um, yeah, there's no sign of that happening this year. It's not
2: going to happen. Okay. In no, no. fact, uh, we might take a look at uh, a, st- a stitch like that uh, when we get sort of very, very dry weather. Some people say, oh, we're going to have some very, very wet weather, but <laughs> that's a topic for next time, I think, Darren. <laughs> so thank yeah, you for yeah, your no contribution. Right.
0: Thanks, okay, Darren. See uh, our independent c- consulting climatologist, Darren Ray, who helps us out at the first Sun Saturday of every month and if you would like to hear back what Darren had to say the uh, 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock hour of Talk Back Gardening on a Saturday is podcast every week so stay tuned Uh, after the program I'll podcast that if you would like to find out more but uh, very exciting because ahead in the program up next in fact we are going to talk landscaping with our very special guest in the studio and later in the program the brand new April ABC Gardening Australia magazine with beautiful uh, lilac stock on the cover is going to be given away. So stay tuned for that ahead. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe
1: on ABC Radio Adelaide.
0: South
2: Australia is about to hold its very first landscape festival. What's it all about, you say? Twelve of our top landscapers will be opening up their landscapes or landscapes that they've carried out they'll be open for people to go and inspect them and it's just a wonderful idea for people that want more information about landscaping so let's talk to Jamie McElwain it's not McElwain it's, it's
4: McElwain <laughs> McElwain
0: <isn't> it? <laughs> we're trying to get it right here Jamie
4: uh, good morning John good morning Deb thanks for having me on again and happy Easter to you both
0: and it's McIlwain.
4: That'll do. Let's, answer, oh, I'll answer to that. I'll
2: just call you Jamie because oh, I've always known you as Jamie. A, so. And
0: I think it's a wonderful idea because you don't know what you want until you can see what's out there, do you, John? That's what I love about this landscaping festival because you might think, I've got a bit of an idea, but you don't know what's around until you can see. And often you'll see somebody's got a landscaper doing their garden, but you can't really knock on the door and say, hi, can I just come in and see what you've done in your back garden? But this is... 12 people doing just that, generously allowing us to go in and have a look.
2: So the obvious question, Jamie, is why hold a festival of landscapes?
4: Well, I just got thinking that what Adelaide really lacks at this time of year is any kind of festival. (laughs) No, uh, Look, um, John, just to set the scene, at the end of each year, John and I sit back on our chairs, surrounded by hundreds of people, at the awards of excellence for the master landscapers of sa and what we're doing is you hear the the business names called out and you see the the gardens that they've put in for scrutiny up on the big screen and it's it's fabulous john isn't it and what we want what i just want to i see these pictures up on the screen I just want to delve into it and have a look around these gardens and it just got to a stage where I just thought look these gardens they 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 need to be seen they need to be shared and that was the stimulus of uh, this festival.
2: As a judge of many uh, a year, uh, just to be able to see those top landscapes and then see the uh, the, the ones that actually win the awards, and uh, you often think, wouldn't it be lovely if other people could get to see them? And that's what this will be about.
4: Well, it is, and it's 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 the, the garden owners get to enjoy these these gardens day in day out. I mean, they've commissioned these the the, the designers and the landscapers to create these beautiful grounds and gardens for them and we've got this unique opportunity now where they've uh, kindly opened the gates to these, these gardens that the general public of South Australia could come in and have a look about.
0: I can't wait to see it. And in fact, if you've got a landscaping question right now, this morning, you can call in and speak to Jamie about it right this second. So if you would like to call in with a landscaping question, ring now. The number is 1300 three hundred triple two eight nine one. What kind of
4: landscapes will be on display? When we started thinking about what we wanted to share, the main thing was to have a, a lot of different types of gardens that would resonate with, you know, different people who have different needs. Um, so what we do have are 12 very different gardens for people to explore. Uh, there are gardens that uh, have been recently completed. In fact, October last year, one was completed, and there's, some of them have been finished for over a decade. There are large gardens. There are small ones. There are um, sort of water-wise gardens, um, Contemporary gardens, modern gardens, so there's a little there'll be something there for everyone to enjoy, no matter what your taste is
2: and there'll also be the landscapers who actually are responsible for those landscapes will be available for people to talk to
4: yes and that's that's what makes this event unique uh, if you go to these gardens and you see a plant that you like, you can go up to the landscaper or designer who's built or designed this garden and say, look, what is this plant? Or what was your thought process in creating this garden? Um, Or there might be something there, you like a a screen or some materials, like where did you get this from? Or how did you construct that? Or if you even, if you love what they've done and you develop a rapport with the the designer or the landscaper, you might say, look, I've got a a plot at home. I'd, I'd love to get you over to see what you could do at home. And, and, uh, speak to them about that. So where are these gardens going to be? The gardens are predominantly in and around Adelaide, uh, north, south, east and west. We've got nine gardens, you know, generally around the Adelaide area and we've got one garden down south at Port Walunga, and two up in the hills, one at Stirling and one at Myelaw. So they're all within very close proximity really. So it, do you expect people to go to all 12 or can they just... Choose
2: which ones they want.
4: Yes, absolutely. So you can do one of two things. Um, You can buy a single garden pass. So if you just wanted to go to one garden, some people just might have uh, other commitments on and have only time to see one or two gardens, and that's fine. That's $10. Or what uh, uh, what we'd suggest is really is the $50 weekend pass. So you've got the whole weekend to see the 12 gardens or as many as you want to. Uh, I know when I go to Melbourne for similar functions like the Design Fest, um, you know I'll see twenty o- over a weekend. Um, so twelve, look, you could most certainly do the twelve quite easily, really.
2: How uh, how do well people know where the gardens are to start with, and and what do they look like, and they can choose? You know, yeah, absolutely. Say say. So if you
4: go on, if you go onto the website to the SA Landscape Festival website, you'll be able to see all the gardens and there's information about them and the photos as well. So if you go to the website, that can prompt you through to uh, looking at the different types of gardens and which ones you might want to explore. And and also the addresses have just become live too, so you can actually see where they all are.
0: I'm looking at them right now. So if you go online, you can see where they are at at the moment. But if you would like to ask Jamie a question now about landscaping, um, the number to call is 1300- triple two eight nine one we don't have him for very long so jump in now if you possibly can and if you want to go online I I can tell you right now you can get a pretty good idea of of what those gardens look like
2: and if you uh, go online you can obviously get your tickets but uh, sometimes people decide at the late stage oh I think I might go. Can you go on the day and can you pay on the day?
4: Yes, absolutely, John. So what we're trying to prefer or get people to do is book online. Uh, But if that's not your thing, we've got the amazing ladies uh, uh, from the SA Country Women's Association who'll be uh, greeting you at each of the gardens and they'll be doing our ticketing and all our COVID sort of check-in and regulations. And and scones and jam. Yes, they'll be doing those. (laughs) And you'll and um so yes you can pay on the day so uh if you've bought a pass they can give you a ticket um, but you can pay cash and or card at the gate of each and every one of the gardens and as soon as you do that you get the most amazing booklet which is a real keepsake of uh, all the gardens um, and all the information you need to know about the festival which it's it's a brilliant booklet
0: what happens to the proceeds that you raise
4: so We've been working on this for about four years. uh, The Open Gardens SA committee members, and uh, in collaboration with the Master Landscapers of South Australia, and we've put this together in our own time. So, all the proceeds uh, from this event will go to the SA SA Country Women's Association. So they uh, obviously, with the Adelaide Show not going ahead last year, that was their major um, money-earning event. So. The more I've gotten to learn about the, C- the SACWA, C- w- they're just the most amazing bunch of ladies. I'm not they? sure what their motto is, but it should be "Can do, will do." Yes, because there's no problem, uh, you know, big enough for them not to conquer.
2: Yes, and you'll often see them in the background and. Uh
4: so, John, you did mention scones before. So, at besides the, the gar the ladies being at each of the uh, the gates of every garden, four of the gardens, they'll be uh, they've been they've been busy at home making their preserves and jams, and uh, they'll be serving tea and coffee and uh, scones and cakes at four of the gardens as well. So, uh, there's another reason for everyone to get involved.
2: Yes, and. Uh... We'll be talking about the Master
4: Landscape Association
2: in more detail very shortly, but uh, you're also working this in conjunction with
4: the SA Open Garden Scheme. Yes, well, I'm a committee member there and it's the Open Garden Scheme have been a driving force in this whole event. Um, the, the, uh, there's such an amazing group of people on the committee and they have made this event uh, possible. So... It's a it's a it's a as I said a collaboration between OGSA and the Master Landscapers of uh, of SA. It's
0: a fantastic thing, Open Gardens. Of course, we let you know about them every week, and I'm really looking forward to the first landscaping festival. So, congratulations for all the work you've done. Uh, Jamie McElwain is our special guest. He's one of the top landscapers here in South Australia. If you'd like to speak with him, uh, call on one three hundred triple two eight nine one, which is what Jane from Clearview has done. Good morning, Jane. Good morning. Um,
5: My question was, if you've never used a landscape gardener before and you you don't sort of have um, an an idea about why you might use a landscape gardener, can you talk me through that? And I did have another question, and that was, if you're working with a landscape gardener, some tips on how best to work that relationship or or, um, to, to working with a landscape gardener. There you go.
4: Yes. Okay. So, what as a, as a landscape designer, what what we're trying to do is create an environment for you that is tailored to you as a person and your personal taste on things, and also your environment, your you know your backyard or front garden or property that you want landscaped. So, we create bespoke gardens for people and and their properties in essence. And as far as getting a landscaper, getting onto the Master Landscapers of SA website, you can actually put in your suburb. Um, when it says, it'll say, find a landscaper, you can put in your suburb and it'll tell you an MLSA member that's near you. Or if you're wanting uh, just a designer or a just a landscaper or even just a garden maintenance person, there are prompts in there for you as well. So it's a really good website. And But going beyond that, Master Landscapers, which is our peak representative body, they're not just here for us uh, professionals. They're there for everyone listening at home. So you can actually... Uh, contact them, and they can answer questions um, personally, and sort of direct you in, in, in towards uh, you know where you might want to go to find a landscaper that suits you. And you need to, I don't know, I guess it's like selling a house or buying a car. You just want you want you want a, someone who you can trust, and uh, developing uh, being able to develop a rapport with a landscaper is really important because you know they're coming into your your home, your private spaces, and you know you need to you need to. Uh, have that trust. What about the second part of Jane's question? How do you actually
2: how do the master landscapers work with the client and, and, and what's the dialogue that goes on there so that uh, the client ends up with what they yeah. want rather than well, maybe as, what the as the landscaper a desi- does.
4: yeah good great question so as a designer I'm on a, a a fact-finding mission when I meet you for the first time and what I'm what I want to do is I'm, I'm asking lots of questions so I'm I'm extracting information which you might you know simplify look at these are the pieces of a puzzle and the more pieces of the puzzle I can get from you the more answers to my questions the the better picture I can I can I can build for you so I'm asking you questions like you know is this is this your forever home or you plan on you know being here for a few years or or not or, or are you a gardener how, how often do you get out in the garden um, some people don't you know just don't have the time to be gardening so you know a low maintenance garden is for them or you know people want productive gardens so it's all that information that you're extrapolating from those meetings, initial meetings, is, is, is vitally important. How do you determine, though, what the client wants in terms of, does
2: they, do they want a, a formal garden or a cottage garden? Uh, I mean, they probably know that they want a nice garden, but they don't know. You, you can't have it until
4: you know what's there, I yep. suppose, isn't it? So I find there's three tiers of people. There are, There are people who think they know exactly what they want. There are people who have some idea about what they want and then there are people who have no idea what they want and even for those people who have no idea what they want there's information that i need from them to design a garden to suit them i mean i've got my own personal tastes and the way i like to garden but that might not be i'm not building it for me i'm building it for someone else so that's what I've got to try and do. And that's the essence of giving the client what they want. Communication right? and getting as much information as possible is, sure. is the, the crux of it.
2: Again, there's a perception that uh, the master landscapers only deal with uh, the top end of town, and you know, it's going to cost you $150,000, yep. uh, and, and uh, there are people that just want... To be able to talk to a landscaper and like to be able to do it themselves. And yeah. all they want is a plan or maybe somebody to hold their hand.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And when I see a client, it, look, budgets are a massive thing. Of course, you know, everyone's got limited spend. So, look, I, I say to them, look, have you, do you want to spend 5000 or 50000 or $500,000? And some people just don't know what, um, you know, f- f- gardens cost. So after that meeting, you can sort of steer them towards and say, look, I think we can Do all this for around this figure, then you can, you know, we go away and quantify things and um, get a more accurate idea of the the costs of the gardens.
2: The Master Landscape Association itself. What is a master landscaper, and how does that kind of landscaper differ from uh, what I would call just somebody who puts up the shingle and says I'm a landscaper?
4: In essence, master landscapers, SA, have done a lot of the hard work for you because. Uh, as a member uh, a new members need to they get vetted and there's a qualifying process uh, we've got we 've got to have the appropriate uh, license license upgrades insurance and there's also a code of conduct that is expected upon all MLsa members so that hard work of finding a, a, a quality professional in this industry has sort of been done for you by if you're going through an MLSA member now there are other companies out there that aren't members that do great work there's no doubt there but uh, you can you you know when you're getting an MLSA member that they've got all their insurances and licenses and license upgrades because every single thing I do on site whether it's irrigation or putting in a pond or paving I've got to have an upgrade and a specific license upgrade for each and every one of those tasks Most to be landscapers done. have
2: got a builder's licence to start with. Yes. And then, uh, as you say, there's all the different things if you go into irrigation. Um, what's often fascinated me, I'm uh, one of the judges, and I'm thinking, wow, this is a Butte garden, and then uh, one of the master landscapers will say, oh, excuse me, John, look... Um, the, pa- the 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 uh, the paving where the paving bu- meets the building, um, they haven't got the adequate sort of materials between the wall of the house and the paving, and there's going to be salt dam problems there. <laughs> and that, they becomes that 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 becomes disqualified. But I'm just uh, amazed at the ability of a landscaper just
4: to walk around and say, right, that's right, that's wrong. Yes, well, you've got to know all the uh, what what is legally. Uh, able to be constructed and all the different uh, aspects of that.
0: Jeff from Stonyfell sent through a text on 0467 922891 saying, Landscapers appear to be very busy. We've been waiting since November for a recommended landscaper to be available to start work. Present indication is late April. Is this the general state of the landscape industry in Adelaide?
4: If you can get someone by late April, you are doing really, really well. Um, there's There's long story short there 's a gross shortage of, of horticulturalists and landscapers in South Australia, so i was i know for our own business it was a twelve to usual eighteen month wait to go on our wait list for a new project so some of these some of these uh, businesses, yes, I would say you 've got you know six month lead time, um, sometimes less, and don 't call a, a landscaper in uh, in spring for a job you want done before Christmas, so it would allow as as long as possible period to to engage a landscaper, get all the design and the costing nutted out first and then uh, get get yourself slotted in because it is a long process. Well,
0: actually, that's a good point, isn't it? You want to talk about the money side of it before you start on the project so yeah. that you don't get a, a very uh, rude shock at the end. Yeah. Important. Look, Lauren from NAN says, my husband had a landscape design and construction company and she'd like to clarify there are three different types of garden help your gardener, who most likely just maintain what you've got, your landscape gardener that do small construction projects, maybe a bit of paving and a bit of irrigation, and then your landscape construction companies that can do design and construction of a whole new garden. Would you agree that that's a sort of three-tiered approach? Uh,
4: Generally, I suppose. I mean, it probably goes beyond that as far as the tiers go. Uh, Some landscape companies do everything in-house from design construction and maintenance there are landscaping companies that just do specific types of landscaping i might be very uh, skilled at uh, hard lands or the hardscaping such as you know paving or putting in pools or or pergolas Um, others are better at the softscapes which are they've got more knowledge in plants so and that's why it really pays to do your homework and try and find someone that suits what you're wanting to do Um, and of course with gardeners as well i mean there are there's there's a, a huge need for people pushing mowers and doing basic garden work. Um, there's also a need for horticulturalists who actually know, you know, pests and diseases and plant culture and, 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 and maintaining gardens to a, to a high end. What you're really suggesting
2: is there is a, a brilliant... Career out there for a lot of people that oh. like getting out and, and, and working outdoors to become a, either a landscaper or a, a maintenance landscaper or, or a, oh, look
4: I would plead for people to get involved in this industry uh, we 've got staff uh, from their early to mid 20s through to their mid 50s and it's it 's never too late uh, if you're enthusiastic about working in this wonderful industry, then you can do it. Um, there's different certificates you can go and do, Cert 3 and Hort. Um, you can mix that with some landscaping or even in uh, landscape construction, depending on what sort of floats your boat as far as what your, where your skills lie. But uh, we, we're desperate, desperately in need of more people in this industry to, to do the work and alleviate some of those long wait times.
2: So you need perhaps qualifications to get going. Where do you get your qualifications from?
4: Yep. Yeah, so... You can do. There's there's a heap of different avenues for you for there. From you know, obviously TAFEs would be one of the go-to places to do a uh, do your certificates there. You can do it there full time. You could also do your courses um, in in conjunction with working. Like you might do a three a three year cert three, um, uh, work four days and study. A day or a study a, a day a month, um, and chip it away that way. So, if you need to keep the money rolling in and study at the same time, you can most certainly do that. So, a starting point would be
2: uh, Erbrey Erbrey uh, High School, and uh, they also run horticultural courses at Erbrey. Yeah, so
4: there's Erbrey uh, the well. There's a lot of TAFE campuses, and a lot of there's a lot of places where you can study. and Herbre is one of them. There are registered training organisations as well that can. Um, come on site and actually you know their trainers come on site and run you through the courses and what you need to do and give you the booklets and, and guides to do that um that study um i mean you can even do it at the botanic gardens i mean there's not a huge amount of people who, who are able to or get accepted into that but you can do your cert three with them over a few year period and um you know mix it with the likes of guys like matt coulter and uh that would be a pretty pretty good way of going about it.
2: Yeah. How many landscapers or how many people have you got working with your company?
4: Well, we've only got a small company, and quite a few of them have come from uh, from Mentlofty Botanic Gardens, and it's uh, it, it's a it's a great way of uh, getting. Look, I, we we run a high end maintenance business, and it's uh, it's I need qualified and experienced staff, and I get a few of mine from there. Yes,
2: and the need for trained horticulturalists that just and people sort of say, do you know a good gardener, John? And and so uh, well, they're rare as hen's teeth. I tell you. <laughs> so <laughs> if you're looking for a career, we started talking landscaping, but we're talking careers and just making people aware that if you like working outdoors and working with plants and people, uh, I think a horticultural
4: landscaping uh, career could be brilliant. Oh, it's gr- it's a, look, it's a great profession working outside, and it's it's good being able to do something actually turn around and think you know that looks really good what I've, my hard work this morning i look what, look what i've done look what i've created and <laughs> if right. you
0: make your passion your profession you never work a day in your life that's do exactly you? <laughs>
4: right <laughs> right so the master landscape
2: association the website a good, a good starting point and just uh, finally um, you'd like lots of people to turn up next weekend at the festival
4: yeah absolutely we'd love Everyone support listening at home. Um, our hope and plan is that we do this in another two years, but uh, it will be reliant on this, this uh, weekend being successful, which is uh, the 10th and 11th of, uh, of April, Saturday, next Saturday and Sunday. The gardens are open between 10 and 4, and uh, we'd love to see you there.
0: Tickets are online at au. I can't wait for it. Uh, Jamie McElwain, thank you so much for coming into the studio to tell us about it this morning. We really appreciate it. Congratulations to you and the whole committee behind it. Um, funds, as we heard, will go to the CWASA. So I hope it's a great success.
4: Thanks so much. Great. Great to see you guys.
0: Thank you very much. We'll come back to your Talk Back Gardening calls in just a moment. The number is 1300 222 891. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe
1: on ABC Radio Adelaide.
0: Let's go to Belair. Good morning, Ian.
1: Good morning.
2: Fire away there, Ian. I'm all Um, ears. Right, okay.
5: Look, totally off topic. Um, I've got a lime tree which is just coming into fruit um in fact the the fruit's there for a while and it's now ripening uh but the problem is i've got patches where the leaves are going quite yellow and i'd like to try a foliar spray on it but i can find nothing about the withholding period for iron chelates uh on
2: citrus right well do it this weekend if you want to and uh pick the fruit when you want to and wash any material that's on the surface, but uh, there's no withholding period on iron chelates. Ah,
5: that explains why there's nothing on the net about it. (laughs) Easy. Thank you very much indeed. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Ian. Nice to have a nice easy answer there. David from Cainton. let's get it right. What's your question around your almond tree, David? We, We can't hear you, David. Let me just try that again. That's fire away now. Oh, hang on a second. Try again, David. Sorry. Yeah,
1: that's better. There we are. Yeah, we go. Um, now my uh, um, parrot swarting. Um, I would say it's a, a, a sucker from the uh, the root system almond. Um, has dropped all its fruit now I asked last week about whether unripe almonds were the source of uh, a lot of cyanide yes. but apparently it's the wild almond that has enough cyanide and if you eat 20 of them it'll kill you.
2: That's right yes uh, like you I did a little bit of homework um, <laughs> I don't like talking about poisons, it's not my role on uh, talk back gardening but yeah it's the wild almond uh, which uh, was grown hundreds of years ago and what's happened is uh, uh, the horticulturalists have selected and uh, they've come across uh, a different kind of an almond which is the uh, ones that we uh, we buy as almond trees and the almonds we buy are certainly quite safe to use but uh, uh, it's the bitter
1: um, yeah now go ahead my question is, uh, um, this sucker, obviously, well, I, I think it's from the root system. Now, what was the rootstock? Because the the fruit looks more like a peach, and it's got thick flesh like a peach. Um, I believe that uh, other stone fruits may be the, the, uh, the rootstock
2: yeah. for almonds. Plum rootstock is very, very uh, widely used for stone fruits, and certainly peach. And the reason for that is that they will pick a variety that's got very strong vigour. And uh, by using that as your rootstock, you've got this extra vigour that goes into uh, what's on top of the rootstock and gives you probably a bigger uh, kind of a tree. But uh, we're getting to the stage where they're they're looking now for dwarfing rootstocks, so ones that will give you the quality fruits or nuts but uh, don't grow too big and uh, that's what's being carried out at the moment
0: Thanks David, we'll move on We've got lots of calls waiting to speak to John Colin is at Wattle Park and with a crepe myrtle question Hi Colin
5: Hello everybody, thanks for the program It's wonderful Um, About 18 months, two years ago we bought a crepe myrtle from a reputable centre planted it and uh, it uh, just hung in there didn't do much and last August I realised that the soil we'd put it in had been somewhat abused by builders who'd done some additions to our home. So I thought, I'll put some gypsum around it, so I did, and it sprung into life. But that's about as far as it's got. It's reached a height of about 50 centimetres. It's got a single trunk. The leaves, which I've got in front of me, have got a little bit of brown on the tip and around the periphery, and it's just not doing anything else. And I'm just wondering... Uh, What I can do to bring things back to life and progress.
2: Colin, when you bought it, was it in a container or was it bare-rooted?
5: No, it was in a container.
2: Righto. And I suspect that... uh, Did you note that uh, the root ball was uh, maybe a little bit root-bound?
5: I don't remember that, John. Okay. I well, didn't, yeah, didn't but that, it. That's
2: the downside sometimes of buying plants in the container. If they've been in a container for a while, they, they become root-bound. You put that uh, huh. root ball into the soil, particularly if it sounds like you've got pretty harsh soil, maybe clay conditions and tough conditions. Yep. Uh, the plant takes uh, either can't get out of it, escape from its root ball and send out a new root system or it takes a long time to do it. I think you're on the right track. Continue, put on another dose of gypsum and you could put on two applications a year. Um, That uh, helps improve the drainage and I would be uh, maybe getting some good quality compost. Go and buy a bag of uh, soil improver or compost if you haven't got uh, homemade material that's fully composted. And I would actually dig that into the top maybe two, maybe three centimetres of soil. And then I would uh, put a sprinkler on it and wash as much of that into, uh, let let the humus and the humic acids and things like that come out of the compost and get down where the root system is. And I think if you can stimulate the roots, uh, they might be able to grow away from whatever is inhibiting at the the moment. But it just sounds like you've got uh, a pretty inactive root system.
5: Yes, I thought so. Any point in uh, bringing it out of the soil and uh, digging wide and deep, as you say, and then putting it back in again? Well, considering
2: it's young and it's not very large, in the middle of winter or maybe towards the end of winter, I'd be digging it up uh, say so okay. no later than late July, early August, dig it up and uh, take a look at the root system and uh, maybe just, uh, if it looks like uh, uh, there's problems there, just uh, trim it a little bit without cutting back too much and then when it's out of the soil, <laughs> take the opportunity okay. of improving the soil. Yeah, dig deep, deep wide, uh, uh, don't dig too deep, but uh, uh, 30 centimetres deep and in, improve the soil with compost fully quality, uh, quality full, a fully composted material, and, and uh, put it, the tree back into that, maybe onto a little bit of a raised mound, uh, you might be surprised at how effective that is.
0: Thanks, Colin. Uh, in paradise, James, your camellias are dropping off. Yes,
5: John.
2: Right, uh, what's dropping off, the uh, leaves or the fruits?
5: Oh, the, the oh, flowers. The flowers. That last year this happened. Oh, okay, right. And uh, every morning I'd find about three or four flowers on the, on the ground, you see. And I was wondering what happened. I, I, I touched some of them. I took, give some of the flowers a tug, and they held, and others came off. So, and now this year, instead of getting clusters of buds, I'm only getting ones. Usually get two or three. three yes, or well, maybe
2: last clusters. year uh, you'll find that there was a heavy uh, number of buds set. Uh, and yes. that's reduced the energy of the tree, particularly if you haven't uh. Uh, uh, been fertilizing it and looking after it and uh, letting the root system uh, recover uh, any damage it would have done in that previous year. Um, so I would be uh, uh, maybe giving it a liquid fertilizer that's oh. got a fair amount of potash in it. Yeah, It's uh, late in the season... Uh, presumably this year's buds are already there? and, and uh,
5: Yes, as I say, they're only in ones, though.
2: Right, uh, okay, well... You know,
5: single, single, single buds. Single
2: buds, yeah. Oh, okay, well, let's make, see if you can't get them to hang on. But get either some... get sulphate or potash or else buy a, a, a foliar fertiliser or a liquid fertiliser, and it can mm-hmm. be organic if you want to, but it needs to have additional uh, potash in it. So you're buying right. a fertilizer which is specific for flowering, and that okay. uh, uh, it won't make I do flowers.
5: Do I think I do have some of that, and I think I've been uh, not
2: putting enough on. Quite possibly, and it's the timing that's important. Uh, putting on fertilizer straight after it's finished flowering in late winter, or early springtime. Uh, Fertilise it then. Uh, with an organic, slow-release organic fertiliser, uh, cow manure is absolutely ideal. And mulching it with cow manure over summer also will make a very significant difference.
0: Good luck with that, James. Hope your camellias stay on the plant. I've got the uh, April ABC Gardening Australia magazine to give away. If you haven't won a magazine from us in the last month and you can tell us what is on the cover of this month's magazine, call now one 300 222 Talk
1: Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide.
0: Talk Back Gardening this morning. We were talking about landscape earlier, John, and Nat from Modbury sent a text through saying she's just had her small six by five courtyard landscape. Her advice is to get several quotes from master landscapers. Same brief, she had quotes from 13,500 to 31,600. She went with the cheapest, who was a very professional, personable person, and she's thrilled with the results. So there, there you are. go. Thank you for that. And Peter from Cudley Creek has won the magazine identifying stocks as on the cover. Wally is in Brooklyn Park. Your box tree's lifted your pavers, Wally.
5: Yes, uh, just two rows of pavers around the box. The box has been there about 50 years. Uh, We're talking about a two. Queensland
2: box, is it? A big tall yes. tree with little nuts on it that drop on the yes, ground? The nuts yeah. and <laughs> Yeah, drive you mad, righto. <laughs> uh, okay, well, if it's been there, the important thing is to get into the habit of uh, watering deep. Your problem okay. is you've got your roots up near the surface... And what's happening is that uh, moisture is forming underneath your pavers and the tree has discovered a source of moisture and they're sending up its roots and they are growing underneath the pavers. So... Um, if you give it an alternate source of moisture, water deep so that you 're watering down uh, at least thirty centimeters and, and uh, have two or three spots or underneath the canopy of the tree that you 're watering deep, that encourages it put, to put down its roots in the meantime if you wanted to, you could lift up the pavers, pick up a, lift up a number of them you 'll probably find that there is a root or a network of uh, roots up near the surface. And I would suggest uh, that you could probably um, cut those off. Don't if there's a big, great big r- root there. Well, then uh, you, you need to sort of probably get second advice from a an arborist uh, as to whether you're going to do any damage. But if it's just small, little hairy roots, uh, you could just remove those. And so long as you encourage uh, the tree to find its moisture further down. Uh, you won't the problem should disappear Uh, maybe when you put your before you put your pavers back down put in a dusting of uh, probably copper sulfate that just might sort of slow down uh, them wanting to sort of uh, colonize underneath the pavers to get what moisture is there
0: thanks very much wally i hope that goes well for you Um, and and while we're on box trees (laughs) margaret from norwood has a question about the leaves good morning margaret Oh, good morning. Uh, We've been using the Queensland box tree leaves uh, quite some time for uh, mulch and leaf litter, and I wonder if they change the pH of your soil at all, or have any impact on it.
2: Is it only those leaves that are in your compost, or is there a variety of other materials there?
0: Uh, It's probably mostly the Queensland box tree leaves, but with a little bit of um, lawn clippings.
2: Right, well... Um, again, it depends on your soil. If you're in very, very uh, alkaline soils, uh, uh, that probably might make a difference to the the, leave, the, pe- uh, the leaves there. But um, you'll find that theoretically the leaves should break down and should be slightly on the acid side. Uh, but then uh, oh. if you're watering your compost and other things go in there that it it might make it a little bit on the alkaline size but I wouldn't worry about it just use them they'll be good compost and the amount of difference it would make to the pH of the soil I don't think would be uh, of any significance.
0: Okay, well, thank you very much. Thank you, Margaret, and thank you to all of our callers and texters this morning. Lovely to hear from you in Talk Back Gardening. I'm very much looking forward to the first SA Landscape Festival next weekend, so go online and book your tickets for that. And, of course, we have the ABC Saturday Talk Back Gardening Wildlife Photographic Competition. You've got until close of business Tuesday night to send in a picture of your garden with a sentence with some wildlife in it of what you've done to Attract that wildlife into your garden. Send it to uh, Adelaide Weekends with an S at ABC Radio Adelaide. Let's try that again. (laughs) Adelaide Weekends at abc.net. Let's get it right. Get the
2: little dots right. Get the
0: dots right. ABC.net.au by Close of Business Tuesday um, and we will announce the winners next weekend. And of course, John's tomato survey is running on the Good Gardening newsletter as well. Yes, and you've
2: got probably about 10 days, a Tuesday week, I think we're closing that one. But if you've had tomatoes and you've grown them, we'd like to know what kind of crop you had did. So get the Good Gardening newsletter and fill in the survey, send it to us. Have some fun this weekend. It's great gardening weather. And until next weekend, I'll say good gardening.